Tommy Kern with the Fornicators. Okay. <laughs> I was just checking to see if you were listening. From Destroyam, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey. I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Momentum, excitement, energy. You know, I mean, they say all this stuff, and you know what they mean, but, you, you know, it doesn't describe what you mean. I mean, it's just sort of out there. You got barbecue back there? And you didn't invite me? Hurt my feelings. I was just worried about, you know, listening to, you know, all, all your guys' rap poison. Welcome to Sideline Judgment. Here are your hosts, Sergio and Tyler. Welcome to Sideline Judgment. My name is Sergio. Unfortunately, Tyler is not going to be joining me directly, and I'll explain. Tyler had to get called into Redacted 3, and Redacted 3 is a great project for Tyler, and he was not able to kind of find a settled down recording time, um... Uh, this is Monday night when we typically record either Sunday or Monday evening. Pods up by Tuesday morning. Uh, Tuesday is my girlfriend Alexa's birthday, and so therefore I cannot record on Tuesday night. So what we're going to do this week is I'm going to put my part at the beginning, and then once I'm done, I'm going to edit in Tyler's part at the end. Um, and so you'll be able to get our opinions as to what happened during week two of the college football season. Um the AR-15 Emory Jones debacle discussion situation, however you want to put it. We will not be talking about that today, either one of us. We're going to save that for next episode when we preview the next week. We'll start with that. And it's because we felt that we wouldn't be doing the issue justice if we just kind of set our opinions and kept it moving. We need to have a discussion, the two of us. We need to be able to talk it through. We need to be able to, you know, say some things out loud, see if they're crazy, bounce ideas off of each other. Um, we haven't really talked about it yet. We've texted a little bit during the game on Saturday, um, but we haven't really talked about it and fleshed out our thesis and ideas. So that's going to be the next episode. Um, and that'll be when we preview the Alabama episode as well, as long as the rest of what's going to happen during week three. Now, without further ado, let's come back. Week two, Florida Gators took on USF. It was a lot to a little. The Gators were up 35 to three at halftime. Um, apart from the Emory Jones um, AR-15 discussion, I liked what the offensive line was doing. Granted, the first two weeks of the season, I've been against a pretty good group of five team in FAU and a pretty lower end group of five team in USF. Um Really wasn't much of a challenge um, for the Gators, as was seen with the high scoring quickly. Gators kind of took their foot off the gas in the second second half. So unfortunately, um, we didn't really get to see the offense at its full potential. After the game, Mullen was talk, asking and talking about Bama and stuff like that. And, and he said, hey, we haven't really shown our full offense. And I think that's very reassuring for the Gators. We'll see how that goes in our preview episode against Bama. But in terms of this game against USF, I liked what I saw out of the offense. Um, we'll talk about the AR Emory thing later on. I know I keep saying that it's because it's such a big part of the offense. And so because of that, I will move forward to the defense. Um, I like the defense defense did a pretty good job. Um, we're really going to get tested this coming week. Uh, it, it seems like it's an extended training camp. It feels like these first two games were kind of preseason ish. Um, again, you know, pretty good FAU team, upper level group of five team, lower level group of five team in USF. So the competition levels are different. Um, I just hope that we can continue this kind of movement, um, and this kind of 
aggressiveness on the defensive line. We got some dogs on the defensive line. They look good. Um, big guys, strong physical guys. And the secondary has been doing pretty good in coverage so far. Not as many challenges as we will see in SEC play, but it's doing decent so far and I'm not mad at it. Um, special teams, you know, you guys just keep doing your thing. Um, I know our punters from Australia, shout out to you, my guy, our kicker. Don't know your name yet, but that is a good thing because we are getting so high up in the point total that I don't really have to stress that about special teams right now. Um, that's it for the Gators. Uh, let's move on to the notable games of the week. Um, first, we have Texas A&M 10, Colorado 7. This game was ugly, and I mean really ugly. Um, Texas A&M's quarterback, King, went out with an injury. was reported today on Monday that he, I think, fractured his ankle. He's out until at least the end of October, I believe is what I read. Um, and so he's going to be out for a while. The AM offense did not look very good with the backup in um, Cal. I don't want to say Calcutta, but Kaltura, something like that. Um, they were running a lot of like no huddle in their first game of the year. Granted, lower level competition, you know, just trying to, you know, get, get some playbook in. But it was notable that they really slowed the game down. Jimbo put his foot on the brakes during this game. And I think it's because he didn't have as much faith in the backup quarterback to kind of go up to speed. Seemed like he was really just trying to get this guy settled, get this guy basic. It reminded me a lot, actually, of the DeAndre Francois injury against Alabama, I want to say in 2017, um, where then you end up throwing James Blackman in, and James Blackman kind of slowed the offense down. He was a true, I think he was a redshirt freshman or a true freshman, so difficult. And as we know, the Jimbo offense is very difficult for quarterbacks to grasp, so difficult there. Um, A&M didn't look really good outside of that. And hey, credit to Colorado, man. The game was in Denver. Uh, A&M had to travel. Colorado, it was technically a neutral site, but Colorado was kind of the home team. Um, and yeah, good on A&M for kind of getting a win out of there when they didn't look like they would for a while. So uh, next up, we have Notre Dame 32, Toledo 29. This game was on Peacock. I watched the last minute and a half of this game. Um, all I got to say is Notre Dame's defensive front seven does not look good that was a def that was a uh, position group that we were really praising last year um during this run to the playoff that they had and i did not like how they've replaced it um we'll talk about fsu in a bit <laughs> oh we will talk about fsu in a bit um but it turns out that that Notre dame game against florida state really wasn't this kind of declaration that we thought it was for both teams for fsu and for Notre dame so um, they're sitting at eight or they were sitting at eight and I think they dropped down to 11 in the AP poll. So rough time for Notre Dame and Toledo, man, really good group of five team, really, really good group of five team, um, poor clock management by the Toledo coach at the end, but you know, it is what it is. Notre Dame escapes a victory, uh, 32, 29. If I was in South Bend, a fan of the team in South Bend, Indiana, I would start to get a little bit worried. Um, next up Stanford 42 USC 28. Oh my gosh. What is happening? The ramifications of this game were that Clay Helton got fired today um, because of this game. And all I got to say is USC, you're like two and a half years too late. Uh, they could have had a bunch of good coaches in the past. And it seems like they did not uh, kind of go with that advice. And now they're, you know, looking around and maybe Luke Fickle is an option. We'll, we'll talk about the USC coaching situation on the next episode. But yeah, Stanford bullied these guys. I mean, line of scrimmage. This game wasn't ever really in doubt. 
Um, I believe it was like 17-10 at halftime, and then Stanford just kind of exploded. They did make a quarterback change after last week's embarrassing game. Um, and so good on men, good for kind of getting their feet under themselves. Um, and USC, man, you got way too much talent to be losing to to Stanford. Really, like we were talking about, is Stanford ever going to kind of get back to the hardball days when they had? I don't think that that's possible. But I mean, David Shaw's a good football coach. There's no reason why they can't be competing for um, Pac-12 North titles and, and competing in the Pac-12 championship game every year. There, there, there's no reason why that. And past few years hasn't been that way for Stanford. Looks like they got their guy. Their quarterback is an adult. <laughs> um, the guy, I think, is 23 and is just a sophomore because he was he is Mormon and he was on a mission for a long time. So, you know, he's he's a grown man. He's a grown man there. So Stanford 42, USC 28. Um, Clay Hilton was fired from USC. We'll talk about that coaching change more on the next episode. Um, Arkansas 40, Texas 21. Um, I would like to raise my hand and say I was wrong. Um, if you subscribe to the Sideline Judgment newsletter, which you can do by sending your email to sidelinejudgment at gmail.com, that's judgment with an E, I will put you on the mailing list and you will receive at least one newsletter a week, most likely two. Um, and uh, yeah, you would have seen on that newsletter that on the napkin, you know, my college football gambling picks, the only place you can access the napkin, my college football gambling picks, um, you would have known that I took Texas minus seven, and I may or may not be in a spread pick'em league where my triple down option, which I can only put on one game a week, was Texas minus seven. I loved what I saw from Texas with the offense uh, in the game against Louisville in week one, and Arkansas came to play. I mean, shout out to Sam Pittman and these boys. Like, really, Sam Pittman has them playing some really tough physical discipline football they dominated the line of scrimmage they ran all over um, the texas defense and on the other side of the line of scrimmage they were getting in the texas offensive line's face they were exploding at the at the line of scrimmage they were getting in the backfield hudson Carr didn't know what to do second start ever his first like legit start he looked like bo Nix in the florida auburn game and it's similar right first year quarterback has some game under you know starting experience under his belt with a couple of games in this case hudson car won in the other case i think bo Nix had three games under his belt but this was the first real test for hudson card he went into fayetteville fayetteville was coordinated with their colors they looked really good uh the fans were in it it was a game day type atmosphere um it was good. It was a great game. I think it's all of the credit in the world, Sam Pittman and that staff. And good on him, man. He's creating a culture. And they, I mean, I hate to say it, but the way Texas, I mean, I don't hate to say it. Let me let me reply that. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Texas A&M did not look good. LSU was kind of a dumpster fire in their game against UCLA, and they not really that good this year. Um, apart from Ole Miss, I think it's an Arkansas Ole Miss race to see who's the second best team in the SEC West. Like, that's a strange statement to say two years ago. Um, credit to Sam Pittman. Great football game. Um, and football's won in the trenches, as is proved here. Uh, a couple more games for the notable games. Uh, Vandy 24, Colorado State 21. Wanted to put this here to show, hey, Clark Lee went on the road. Vandy won a football game in Colorado, traveling. They lost last week in a game they should probably shouldn't have lost because um, it was to an FCS team. But they bounced back and they beat um, Steve Adazio, Steve Adazio, and uh, Colorado State, twenty-four to twenty-one. So good on them, um, good on Clark Lee and that staff in Nashville. And ladies and gentlemen, of course, probably the most fun results of the evening: Jacksonville State twenty, 
Florida State 17. This was, I was listening to Split Zone Duo, and they were saying that according to some metric, and I don't know what it was off the top of my head, this was the largest upset in 40 years at FSU. Um, guys, they lost because they weren't playing prevent defense down with six seconds left and Jacksonville state, which is not in Jacksonville, by the way, it is in this, it is in the state of Alabama, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they basically had a hail Mary and they had two guys in the back and both couldn't make the tackle and they win the game. And then I think it's circulating the rounds. This will be on the next uh, edition of uh, the silent judgment newsletter. There was some, there was a gif of, there's a gif. Sorry. Yeah. It's gif, not gif, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there was a gif of, this cheerleaders, the cheerleaders are kind of like shocked in their faces. It's a fantastic GIF. And then also, um, listen, congratulations to the Florida state player that proposed to his girlfriend after the game. Proposing is a big lifetime commitment. It is in a show of love. It is a show of affection. And I think it is a beautiful step in one's life and a wonderful moment that should be celebrated. So congratulations to that couple. I'm being genuinely serious with all that being said, my guy, you can't wait till after you win a game. You can't wait until after the, <laughs> you, you got to propose after the largest upset in 40 years in FSU history. You lost to an FCS team. Read the room a little bit, my guy. I mean, congratulations. Marriage is a big thing and, and I'm very happy for him. Seriously, I really am. But you got to wait just another time, my guy. <laughs> you got to wait for another time. Um, Listen, FSU just, uh Listen, I'm old enough to remember when they fired Willie Taggart after a year and a half because they weren't getting results. So I only wonder how long um, I only wonder uh, how long Mike Norvell's leash is over there in in Tallahassee. Hmm, I wonder why that happened. Anyway, moving forward are five wide games of the week. Um, First, we got the biggest game of the week, uh, Oregon 35, Ohio State 28. Tyler and I both picked Ohio State. We were both wrong. Credit to Oregon. Good Lord, what a performance by this football team. Their defense played incredible. Um, CJ Stroud, I didn't think, looked bad. Like, I, I don't. I, I don't think CJ Stroud looked bad, but I think that defense was good. And Anthony Brown was making some checks. Uh, I think that has more to do with the Ohio State defense really not making any adjustments. And as Tyler and I have said before, Joe Moorhead is good enough of a coordinator. That man literally found a few plays that worked and just kind of exploited them, which is good. That's what you do. That's what Tyler and I do on NCAA 14. Like we find plays that work and we exploit them because so that the AI can, you know, find or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, great credit to Oregon. Mario Cristobal, big win, a great day for the Pac-12. Um, just off of this one alone, I understand that USC lost to Stanford. Um, I understand that Michigan beat Washington. We'll get to that in a bit, but overall this is this is great. This is fantastic. I don't see a, a better team in, in the Pac-12 and I think if Oregon gets relatively decent quarterback play from Anthony Brown for the rest of the season, they can Anthony Brown game manage their way into the playoffs. I really do. I think they're a good football team. I think that defense is fantastic and I think Mario Cristobal has recruited really well on the offensive line, the defensive line and the skilled players around. Quarterback maybe not so much. They kind of they, they wasted uh Justin Herbert, but other than that, you know, I think it's pretty decent. So, credit to Oregon. Congratulations to them going into the horseshoe and winning that football game. The sideline judgment game of the week. Iowa 27, Iowa State 17. Game day was there. 
Tyler, I'm sorry, my guy. I know how much this hurt you. I know how much you wanted Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy to win this football game, but Iowa is a really good football team. Iowa can play some defense. Iowa game manages their way to some points. Um, Brock Purdy was so bad in this game, he got benched. Brock Purdy got benched. We have to, we're going to have to ask Tyler about that in person on the next episode. I, I got to make a point to uh, to mention that because there's no way that this man got fired. Or sorry, got fired. Um, I'm thinking about Clay Hamilton. Uh, no, there's no way that this man got benched in the fourth quarter of um, the the El Asico, the, the Cyhawk. So credit to Iowa. The defense was really good. They were stopping everything that was happening. Um, good on them. And uh, I got the point there because Tyler picked Iowa State. So I got one point so far. Next up, we had Miami 25, App State 23. This was my second screen game while I was watching Arkansas just boat race Texas. Um, Yeah, App State's a pretty decent football team. I don't understand why teams think that they can kind of just, you know, power five teams think that they can just kind of throw out their team and, oh yeah, we can kind of sleepwalk through an App State victory. This isn't Bama playing Mercer, okay? This isn't playing Stetson, all right? Like, this is... App State, one of the most one of the most successful football programs in the history of college football. And I know that sounds a bit outlandish, but when you look at the, their success over the past 25 to 30 years, they've gone from Division II to Division I to turning into juggernauts, power knots. And now that the American has some t- slots open, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of try to put their foot in the ground and they pick up App State, put their foot in the ground in Appalachia, uh, Appalachia and, and, and get a team in there. So App State, a really good football team, causing trouble for Miami. Uh, now, in Miami's turn, the offense, again, is just the fight in De'Ara Kings. He needs some help, man. It didn't help that um, presumable first or second-round draft pick, Bubba Bolden, really wasn't looking good. I was praising him on the on, on the show last week. I really liked it. Uh, he was kind of a bright light in that Alabama game for Miami. But he kind of didn't show up. I mean, the most, the biggest and most impressive thing that happened in this game was the cat. I don't know if anyone's seen the video of the cat. It, that video will be on the next episode of the Southern Judgment Newsletter. Um, it's This cat falls from the roof of Hard Rock Stadium. And there's a bunch of, I think it was students that put out a bunch of American flags because the games were played on 9-11. Put out a bunch of American flags and they caught the cat. Like, I don't... <laughs> How is that the most exciting thing to happen in a Miami football game? Like, you got to do better. You guys got to do better. Seriously. Get some weapons around him. Have the defense playing a bit tighter. Don't let Chase Bryce come in with App State and really dominate the football game. You know, I just spent a bunch of time praising App State, and that's true. But, you know, in theory, Miami, maybe I've just been, since I've been here for a few weeks now, I'm kind of getting back into the, oh, yeah, it's Miami. They should be fantastic. I don't know. If I am, please let me know. Sidelinejudgment at email.com. Tweet me at S-D-E-L-A-E-S at S-J underscore podcast. Let me know, please. Let me know if I'm wiling out here just because I'm back home in South Florida. But I do think that Miami should play better than the way that they played on Saturday. And a cat falling off of the roof of Hard Rock Stadium should not be the biggest story. In <laughs> the biggest thing to come out of a football game there. So they barely escape um, App State. Uh, I mean, on the last drive, App State really could have won the football game. They they could have gotten a fourth, a first down, probably three or four times, and the receivers dropped the football. So, you know, it is what it is at that point. So, Miami twenty five, App State twenty three. Tyler and I both get the points on that one. Next up, a game that I had teased earlier: Michigan thirty one, Washington ten. Listen, as much as I like the Washington defense, and it's good. Um, 
credit to Harbaugh for basically scheming his way into 31 points. Um, what happened here was Michigan lost their most explosive player last week during the game against Western Michigan. Uh, he is out for the season and he needed season ending surgery. And so they kind of went back to this kind of ground and pound. Um, Michigan had two running backs that had over 150 yards. I think that's how we're going to see this Michigan team play. And they're going to have to like, it's not pretty football. It's not football of 2021. It's probably football of 2014, 2013. But I mean, that's kind of the way it plays. It kind of reminded me of the LSU team with um, Leonard Fournette. That's the team that it kind of reminded me watching that offense. And then on the other side, uh, I mean, Washington's offense, does Washington have an offense? It's really not even remotely decent of, 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 of productivity. Um, it's bad. Like, yes, Harbaugh was running an offense with 2014. Um, Washington was running an offense from 2007, and it was not working. It was not working at all, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, Jimmy Lake's going to need to make a change. Jimmy Lake is going to need to do that if he wants to stay the coach um, at Washington for long. So um, 31, Michigan, Washington 10. Tyler picked Washington. I had picked Michigan, so I get the point there. And in the last game in five wide, we have um, the Holy War, Utah 17, BYU 26, BYU looking really good. Let me tell you, the game was in Provo. That crowd was rocking. Uh, Mormons, you got to let me know. If you're a Mormon, how do you turn up like that for the game? You don't drink coffee. You don't drink alcohol. Like, What are you, just getting eight hours of sleep? You you don't drink Coke. You don't even drink like you drink any caffeine. So what are you what are you what are you drinking a Sprite? That, I don't know. Seriously, genuine question. Let me know at s d e l a e s at s j underscore podcast at sidelinejudgment at gmail Judgment with an e. Like let me know. Um, but all the jokes aside, seriously, BYU played a really good football game. They got ahead early, and then Utah kind of made a run to come back, and then BYU kind of put the game away. Gunnar Romney had a touchdown. Um, their offense looks good. It, it doesn't look as bad as we thought it would without uh, Zach Wilson, but it, it could still do some work. It could still improve a bit. But I liked where they. I like where they are. Um, Utah's defensively looks a bit lost. Not too much. It's not horrible, um, but they kind of did look a bit lost. Maybe that's just BYU's uh, kind of fast, up-paced tempo type offense, um, and with some some athletes that can really space the field and, and them kind of throwing all over. Could be that, or um, it could be the opposite way. Not sure. We'll see exactly what it is. Without all that being said, though, the Holy War was fantastic. The atmosphere was great. One of the best early season rivalry games that we have in college football. Um, We both picked Utah, so therefore, neither one of us get points on that one. Uh, Two-point conversions. um, I picked Pitt 41 over Tennessee, who had 34 points. Um, Joe Milton... Uh, got hurt. He's not playing this game. So um, Hendon Hooker came in and that man, uh, for for someone with such arm talent, he really can't throw the deep ball. And that's kind of sad. I know, but it kind of is what it is. Uh, Pitt played really well. Pitt, Pitt did some pitting. Okay. Um, Kenny Pickett looked really fun. He was running all over. He was having a good time. Uh, it was really enjoyable to watch. The offense was moving, differences, uh, check downs, and run plays, passing plays, balanced offense. It looked fun. It looked really good. And again, fantastic uniform game. I will give Tennessee that. The Tennessee Orange matched up against 
the away pit, the yellow helmets, white shirts with the yellow accents and the blue pants, just fantastically beautiful on the eyes. I loved it. Thank you, Kenny Pickett. I got my two points. Tyler also got his two points because he picked Coastal Carolina over Kansas, and that game was 49 to 22. I was watching this game um, with my girlfriend's brother. He had allegedly um, taken Coastal Carolina, um, on the spread. And it was a bit nervous in the first half for us. I'm not going to lie. It was a bit nervous in the first half, but it ended up working out. Um, Kansas again, is just not looking very good. Um, I hope that, uh, Lance Leopold kind of gets that together because I do think that he's, he's doing something well. Staying in the game with Coastal for the first half is a really good thing. That is a really, 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 really good thing for them. And I'm happy that that worked out. I think in a few years time, if they let Lance Leopold do his thing, if they just let him recruit the way he wants to recruit, and if they let him, if they give him time, they got to give him time. You can't expect results at Kansas within three, three to four years. That is an eight to 10 year project. And I'm not even kidding. If Lance Leopold has the patience, if Kansas, the administration has the patience for Lance Leopold, I think that it can get done. So. Um, I think that is it for this week's review. Um, I'm clocking it at about 25 minutes. Let's see how Tyler clocks in at um, the total point scores. We got, I have nine points. Tyler has seven. So I'm up by two. Ha ha ha. Um, and then in college fantasy, we actually played each other and I'm pulling it up here. Hold on. We actually played each other this week and I was looking and I think I had the large, granted it's only been two weeks and this is the, this is the um, only the second year where we're doing college fantasy and also the first year we're doing it on this new app. Um, yeah, I had the most points in the league with 308. I went up against Tyler who had 194. I had Carson strong with 62 and a half points. And then on my bench for quarterbacks, I had Sam Howell with 73.6. And then I picked up Anthony Richardson and he, (laughs) he had 44.7 points on like four passes and four rushes. It's insane. We'll have the Anthony Richards AR-15 Emory Jones conversation on the next episode, but it's it's just insane. Um, Tyler benched Brock Purdy, actually. Smart decision because he only had 4.9 points, and instead he played Emory Jones with 29.2 points because, you know, Emory Jones isn't a bad quarterback. Sorry. I know we're going to get to that conversation later, but we'll do what we do. It was just too much for Tyler, though, because I had one, two, three... Three players score at least 40 points, another two players score at least 30, and then another two more score 20 points. John Meacher III had 9.5 points, and Malik Davis had 4.1, and that's my start. one of my starting wide receivers and running backs, and I still won by God knows how much. Shout out to the Cincy defense for 34 points there, a sack, two fumble recoveries, and three picks, and only allowing seven points. Love to see it. Um... Yeah, so I beat Tyler on that too. Oh, what a week for me. I mean, I'm kind of sad that no, I'm not sad. I'm glad Tyler got his um redacted three job and I'm 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 really happy for him. But I kind of wish that he was on the, you know, doing this episode here because I wanna I wanna rub it in his face, man. I beat him in fantasy, I beat him in the five wide, I beat him in the two point. I want I, I want to put some respect on my name. Put some respect on my name, Tyler. Um I will let Tyler let you he let you know what he thought about those games. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to my good friend, my best friend, Tyler K. Williams. Hey everyone, it's Tyler. Um, yeah, so I don't know if Sergio's mentioned, but I had to work on Redacted 3 this week, and uh, it was on Monday, the only day that we were good to record. 
So, um, we're going to be, we did this part separately, but we'll just kind of, I'll just kind of go through what we talked about. A good week of college football. There's never a bad, never such thing as a bad week of college football, in my opinion. Uh, but let's start off our conversations with uh, a little bit of the number 13 Gators uh, beating the USF Bulls. Uh, Sergio wants to save the AR-15 Emory discussion for the next episode. I get that. There's a lot of things we got to talk about next episode when we're in the same place. Um, all I will say, though, is that this is not really a discussion at part as much as a Anthony Richardson is undoubtedly the most talented QB on the roster and most dynamic. Uh, but we may not still see him as the starter going forward for many reasons, reasons that I'm sure will be discussed. But in this game, he was absolutely dynamite. Uh, three for three, 152 yards. Additionally, a bunch of yards on the ground and an additional touchdown. Um, and that was something that surprised me because he, in the first game, he had a lot of dynamic running plays and one pass that was good, but the pass, honestly, it was behind its receiver. And like, while the guy was wide open and he threw it behind him and it was, you know, big completion, I would argue that, you know, you should be throwing it leading a receiver. Like that could have been a touchdown. So it's like little things and he hasn't like picked apart a defense yet. And in a lot of ways, he still hasn't done that. But in this game, he had three throws that were two of which were pretty wide open because of play design. But the third of which was a sideline dime off of his back foot. And that was incredible. Um, so it's only been two weeks, but it, it's it's nice to see, you know, to have this talent on the roster and to see how productive it can be. I mean, the Gators offense um, played really well. Uh, in the third quarter, they really took a dip, and that's the other thing we'll talk about. Emory Jones played better this game. However, there's a serious thing that um, has happened with the offense, which is when Emory Jones throws his first interception, he's bound to throw another one. He has thrown three interceptions in both games, and Emory Jones was a lot better on the throwing and passing as far as touchdowns are going to go for this game. He had an absolute dime of a touchdown to Xavier Henderson at some point. But... um. The offense is still very productive on the ground. It's getting better in the past. The only thing is that Emery's big problem so far has been that when he throws picks, he's bound to throw more kind of spirals. So we'll see. We'll have a bigger discussion about that in relation to Anthony Richardson and what that does later. Um, running game is still pretty good. Uh, but transitioning over to the defensive side of the ball, the defense played really well. Late, they gave up two scores, but that's when the game is out of hand, and I'm, I'm trying to take you know take that for granted. Early on in the game, they were giving up nothing. The defensive line is probably the biggest improvement for this team as compared to last year's team. Um, where last year's team, Jonathan Crenard had just graduated, and they lacked a a true key pass rusher. They, I mean, which is weird because Florida, I'm pretty sure, led the league in sacks last year, but that has more product of situation than a product of production. And this year, if that were to happen, it looks like a lot like a product of production. The defensive line is all over the place. Their run uh, defense is a lot better. Um, the secondary played better. It got some interceptions. It's still the part of the team that I would worry about. But the defensive line looks great. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what this team... I think that that was the improvement that was really going to be needed because the offense, despite all the, you know, 
concerns slash questions we've been having over the last two weeks and Gator Nation has been having, I mean, the offense has still put up like minimum 42 points every game. And it's only been two games. It's still a good offense. It doesn't matter who's running it. Um, it's just a matter of how good it can be. But the question going into the offseason was, is if Todd Grantham is being kept, is the defense going to improve at all? It does seem to be improving. So now the defense shouldering the weight of an offense that is good, but not as good as last year's, could make this team have a better season than we probably f- feel like it could. But very impressed with that. I, they, they, should, they did exactly what they should have done because it's USF and USF is not very good. But at the same time, you get props for playing well on defense. Special teams, I didn't really, I didn't really, I mean, it, it was good, very good that I didn't see any of them. So we'll keep it at that. But yeah, um, a good game, a better showing than out against FAU, a little bit more complete. But the bigger Anthony Richardson every challenge discussion will be saved for the future, and we will we'll for sure have it. Moving on to some notable games that happened this weekend. Um, number five, Texas A&M, 10, Colorado, 7. I watched a little bit of this game live, but if you look back and look at it, turnovers, missed field goals, and not converting on key downs are really what kept Colorado from taking control of this game like early um, because they played better early on, and it was home game for them. Texas A&M didn't lead until 2.41 left in the fourth quarter. That's not a top-five team. Not right now. And it could be very true that Colorado could be way better than we think. But Colorado was winning because they just played better in certain parts. Colorado was not winning to me because they were being a better team. Texas A&M has a lot of talent, and their defense is pretty good. But they're missing a lot of cohesion. So to me, that is not a top-five team. Good on them for winning at the last second. That shows a lot of guts and togetherness as a team and cohesion. Um, Colorado had every chance to increase their score from early on in the game when they scored the first touchdown. And they never took it. They never was able to get away with it. They turned it over at the wrong time. Could not convert on key passing downs, key downs of any kind. And that's, you know, that's all she wrote. Next up, number eight, Notre Dame, 32, Toledo, 29. I didn't watch Snap at this game. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Um, I was very keyed in on the ending because it looked like Toledo won at the last second and then Notre Dame was able to come in and win. Which, I have a couple thoughts. Jack Cohn, take a bow. You've been much more productive of quarterback as I thought. The rest of Notre Dame, sit your butt down. This team is not very good. This is not a number eight team in the country. And especially considering a result in a game I'm going to talk about soon that will frame Notre Dame's success this season so far. You may be 2-0, but... This is just this is not nearly the same team as last year. And we knew that, and it's good to see that, you know, early on so we don't fool ourselves. But all that Toledo is a good Mac team, so I want to clarify that. Like Toledo's a good team, but Notre Dame only winning by three and three at the last second, not three in like a weird comeback holding on to the score. They were so close to to getting caught. I I even had to delete drafts like tweets in my drafts that would have been making fun of Notre Dame for losing this game had to delete it but the fact that I had them not great for Notre Dame so we'll see they're a fun team to watch from a sense of like they can score and they they, all their games are close but they're not a particularly good team despite the fact they're 2-0 
Next up, Stanford 42, number 14, USC 28. This game had ramifications that will be discussed at a later episode because they're important, and I feel very strong senses of ways about them. But until we're together in the same room, I will wait to discuss that with Sergio. But what I will say is that Stanford won this game pretty handily and not in the way that I would have expected. Stanford was out of the shotgun most of their snaps. They threw the ball a lot, and it was very successful. McKee, the quarterback, played really well. Uh, Stanford got a lot of really good um, plays out of their receivers and their running backs in the passing game. I was surprised. I mean, I wasn't surprised that Stanford wide receivers forced a lot of pass interference, pass interferences against them. Which you know what, good for them because that that moved the ball, and I wouldn't say any of them were bad calls either. USC offense. The USC has the typical problem that a lot of air raid teams will run into if they don't play it right. Is that USC's offense will move the ball? They will move the ball. That there's no joke. They are going to move the ball. It's going to go from one end of the field to the other. But a lot of area teams really struggle, unless they're the really good ones. They struggle to convert key passing down, key downs of any kind. There were way too many field goals in the red zone for USC early on in this game. Way too many. Because Stanford was scoring early, and USC was trying to keep up, and USC was moving the ball enough, well enough to let you think that they would have been able to keep up. But when they were in the red zone, they didn't convert into touchdowns. And they kicked field goals. So they have... Kiedos Levis had a lot of yards. USC was able to run on the ground too pretty effectively. But they only scored 28 points. They scored 14 whole points less. And it was... It was not particularly close at the end. And a large part of that is due to the fact that they were not able to convert. And I don't know what you do to fix that necessarily because... Just saying converting on key downs, is it's not as simple as that. But I will say that it's it good teams make those big most of those important moments matter. They make and they and they execute in them. And then this team just has not done that. Um so we'll see. This things have happened. There have already been ramifications for this game as of time of recording, and I will discuss them in the future because I really want to. But moving on. Arkansas 40, number 15, Texas 21. Welcome to the SEC, Texas. Hope you like it. This is not even the best A team, probably the third best A team in the in the conference. Um, honestly, great for Arkansas. They dominated. Um, Texas, as noted by uh, Texas Longhorns correspondent uh, Kevin Borba on Twitter, Texas is a defensive problem. A serious defensive problem. Arkansas's offense, you know, is not dynamite to me, but it's good. It was good last year. I think it's going to be a good year because I like KJ Jefferson a lot. The running game is great. KJ Jefferson looked way better than the last week, both on the ground and through the air. But yeah, Texas' defense is a problem. And the game against Louisiana for Texas was great for them. But this this is more indicative of the Texas I thought we'd see, where it was just like, you got Steve Sarkeesian, that could work. But the reality is, is that Steve Sarkeesian was so successful with players that you don't have anywhere near as good of. And that's and you're Texas. And that's not really a dig on Texas. That's more of a A-plus to Alabama. Alabama had the stupidest 
still has the stupidest collection of stock talent I've ever seen. And Sarkeesian offensive coordinator was the coordinator for that offense. And now he's got you and he's, they moved the ball a little bit, but you're not where you need to be just yet. And that's okay. Arkansas is a little further along in their little reboot that they're going through. Um, so you don't feel too bad about this, but yeah, Texas's defense is probably going to be a problem considering what Arkansas just did. Oklahoma and several other Big 12 teams are fully capable of doing that and more. So we'll see. Texas also dealing with maybe some quarterback controversy now because Casey Thompson, I think, has been named the starter for the next game. I don't really have a preference. He can run more than, I think his name's Hudson Card. But um, we'll see. I don't think either of these quarterbacks are the ones that Steve Sarkeesian like, wants full-time. So we're just kind of in a holding pattern. But yeah. Moving on, Vanderbilt 24, Colorado State 21. Um, yeah, so Colorado State dominated this game early and then just went into a hole. And a large part of that had to do some in the third quarter. Seals, the Vanderbilt quarterback, had some absolutely dynamite passing plays and running plays to bring Vandy back in the second half. Just some big splash plays to his receivers, incredible catches that moved the ball in key moments and allowed them to climb back into the game and kick field goal to go up in the last couple of minutes. And a large part of that also has to do with the fact that Colorado State offensively just went away. Surprising for a Steve Adazio team to do that. Just totally shocking. But that's what happened. Uh, Clark Lee gets his first win as Vanderbilt head coach. And, you know, good for him. But the fact that it's good that they won this game and then in the way they did it in the way that they did because it was impressive. Not a great sign that you're having to take Colorado State to the wire. Just not a great sign for your SEC season. But we knew they would be bad. They're Vanderbilt, and they're not even one of the good Vanderbilt teams. And that's okay. The last of our notable games before we head to five wide and two-point conversions. Jacksonville State 20, FSU 17. Now, I'm in a room by myself right now, so I don't feel like I can accurately give off the energy I would have if I was with Sergio talking about this. But just know that I laughed a lot. Many all-caps texts were sent to my friends and family who also have beef against FSU. Um... It's hilarious. I don't ever want to hear a Georgia Southern joke ever again. But FSU's 0-2 now, and they lost to Jacksonville State. And but let's 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 save the trolling for a more honest discussion of how did they lose this game? Throw out everything before the last play because I don't really I'm not gonna rewatch it and I don't really care, but it's ridiculous that FSU's even in this situation where they're they're in position to lose to Jacksonville State in the last play. Never mind that. Why is Mike Norvell calling a not a press defense with six seconds left? Is beyond me. It's beyond everyone. And the thought process there is that like they still have enough time with six seconds to get it to completion, kick a field goal. Now, reminder: in this situation, a field goal, I'm pretty sure just ties it. So they go to overtime. That 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 doesn't like. That doesn't matter. Um, it 
Mike Norvell chose to, in that moment, make a decision to play for the win by by offering up the loss. Whereas if you just play prevent with six seconds left, where it would be incredibly hard to get a completion, spike it, and then get the field goal team on. Incredibly hard. You you still play prevent defense in that situation, in my opinion, because even if they get in range for the, the field goal and it would be a long field goal, and if they make it, you're going overtime. You still have a chance to win. But if you go press in that situation, one guy gets beat, that's all you need. And in fairness to the FSU players that didn't tackle him at the end, it looked like they were surprised he caught it. I would be too. Why were you not in prevent defense? I don't understand. I'll never understand um, a debacle. It's also interesting to me that FSU's offense, which played really well against Notre Dame, especially when Mackenzie Milton was in, only scored 17 points in this game. I said to many of my FSU, FSU friends that while they lost last week's game at the time, they could have found their program a little bit. And I kind of have to take that back now because if you find your program, you don't lose to Jacksonville State like that. So we'll see. Um, not looking great for FSU. Next week's game against Wake Forest, I can't believe I'm saying this, is huge. And I do, like, I liked the Mike Norville hire when it happened, but it, it's not even really him. It's it's his testament to the state of Florida football left that Jimbo left it in that Willie Taggart and Mike Norvell have been this bad. So, because both have had success at other places, and we'll just have to see if they're able to fix it. All right, that's enough for our notable games. We're moving on to five wide. All right. I got some things wrong this week, but that's okay. I'll go through it real quick. The most important kind of game from the national perspective is number 12, Oregon, winning 35 over... So 28 over number three, Ohio State. All right. Let's take a look at this. As I put, Ohio State couldn't convert on meaningful downs despite a lot of yardage. Kind of what I said about USC earlier. CJ Shad had over 400 passing yards. He looked great for the most part, but on meaningful downs, converting in the red zone, they weren't able to do that. Oregon, on the other hand, ran all the way through this defense in every way. Their offensive game plan was executed perfectly. They never fell off the rhythm. They never trailed. They were in this game the whole time. They were ahead of it, which allowed them to keep the running game in, in order. I want to give a slight apology to Anthony Brown because we said that there was no chance they would win this game because Anthony Brown was the quarterback. We were wrong. I still don't think Anthony Brown is your answer, Oregon, for winning an actual title. But what this game means to me is that, like, Mario Cristobal can get his team to win a big game without it needing to have a dynamic quarterback. So when they find one, this is great for them. This is a sign of great things. Additionally, Ohio State, you're a young team. You're, you're, a, re, you're a reinventing team. You lost a game to the best team in the Pac-12 in the second game of the season. This is not the end. Like, I was with somebody who said, ah, yes, I don't want to see Ohio State in the playoff. To think that this one game eliminates Ohio State from playoff contention is honestly idiotic. Um, love him. Don't mean that to insult him. But it's one game against a really good team you lost by one score. You can come back and fix it later. CJ Stroud looks a lot like early Spencer Rattler, 
which is that all the yardage and stats in the world, but you still have to learn to handle the moments, the moments where you have to lock in and make the correct decision, not just move the ball. And Spencer Rattler's been getting better at that, and if he can get really good at that this year, that's going to mean good things for for Oklahoma. C.J. Stroud still has to learn that. He's still an extremely talented quarterback, so I, I think it'll be okay. Oregon, you should feel extremely proud of this moment. Oregon's the frontrunner in the Pac-12 by far. Um, and you know if things break right, they could still make it into the playoff. They wouldn't win a game with this team, in my opinion, but it's a sign of really good things that they can accomplish this. Next up, number 10, Iowa 27, Iowa State 17. Oh, yeah, by the way, the first one, Sergio and I both picked Ohio State, so we both got no points. I picked Iowa State. Sergio picked Iowa. Sergio gets the point. Um, simple, Simply put, it's really hard to be, for Iowa State. It's really hard to beat a good team with a great defense when you keep giving them the ball. Iowa owns this matchup. Iowa's got the mental advantage right now. And while this Iowa State team, I think, is better than them, they're not better in this game. Iowa State always takes a little while to get going, so that's kind of a weird, that's a weird thing about this rivalry. But again, you cannot win a game if you give a good team with a good defense this many turnovers. Iowa State, you're just not going to be able to do it. Sergio gets the point on that one. Next one, number 22, Miami versus, uh, yeah, sorry, number 22, Miami, 25, App State, 23. Miami wins at the last, not the last second. A really good game, though. Miami won late. Good for them. They survived the Bama beats you twice curse by coming out with a win. Uh, it was hard. They almost didn't. But App State is a very good team. They played it hard. Um, it's again the case where Miami Miami's entire offense is Derek King, and usually that's good. But when Derek King's not having a great day, that's tough for you. But good on Miami for sticking it out, winning it tough at the end. We both pick Miami, so Sergio gets a point. I get a point. Next up. Washington 10, Michigan 31. I picked Washington. Sergio picked Michigan. Look, I was going for the shock factor. I was like, Michigan, Washington's defense is still good. It's going to it's gonna surprise the Jim Harbaugh offense. I was wrong. Still don't trust Michigan. But Washington is taking a real nose turf. Their defense is still good. But, Jimmy, like, you have got to get a real offense in there. There's just no excuse. So... Washington's 0-2 right now. Not looking great. Not good for them. Michigan, you're 2-0. You want a good game against the Pac-12 team with a tough defense at home. Still don't think that means you're beating Ohio State, but your team looks okay. Your quarterbacks look competent. We'll see when they get put into a serious situation when you play Penn State or Wisconsin. But I'm excited to watch the rest of your team the rest of your season. I still don't fully trust Michigan. I still think it's just going to be an okay team. But we'll see. And uh, so Sergio gets the point on that. So last five wide, Utah 17, BYU 26. This was a really good game. Just a genuinely really good game that BYU just got ahead of and stayed ahead in. They they were the first to score, and they just kept it going. Great uniform game. Very dynamic all around. Lots of big plays. Uh, BYU had a chance to really stretch the lead out late. But it got called back for the guy being out of bounds when he had a huge touchdown run. Utah really clawed and fought in this game. And a Kyle Winningham team is always going to fight. But it was a really good game. Really fun to watch. Not really much to say. Both these teams are pretty solid. 
uh, BYU gets their first win in a long time, so good for them. It's always a weird thing in college football or football in general where it's always like the team after the big one ends up always accomplishing things. Like last year's team, even though they didn't play Utah, with Zach Wilson was probably going to be the team that would have, you know, that should have beaten Utah if they had played them. They were the big one. They were the big team. But then this year, the the team after a lot of those players have left, Zach Wilson in particular, this this year's team also beats Utah. So it's kind of cool. All right, moving on to two-point conversions. I go first. Tyler, Coastal Carolina, 49, Kansas, 22. Um, I get two points for this. You know, despite the fact that it was a huge spread, I have to be honest. Kansas did put up a serious fight in this game. In this game, late didn't matter. But Coastal Carolina's good team, same really fun offense. But Jason Bean, the Kansas freshman quarterback, he's got some scooting legs. He actually made some low key, like nice throws and seriously cool situations. And it's. It was interesting because the Kansas made this a game like really, like really from the early on to like the middle, but just Coastal Carolina is better. They're just better. But I really like what I've seen in Kansas and Lance Leopold. I think is going to do a good job there for for standards. He did a great job at Buffalo. Is he going to win a Big Twelve championship? No. That calm down. But I mean, maybe he will one day, and I'd be shocked. But but Kansas is looking better. So two points for me. Sergio, Pitt 41, Tennessee 34. Everything I laughed out about at the Jacksonville State FSU game, put that in here. Tennessee went ahead really early. Then Pitt, Kenny Pickett just balled out late. There's a lot of uh, turnovers by Tennessee. And it's another one of those things with the Josh Heupel offense that um, when you ask your receivers to run go routes every single route, even if you're running the ball in the third or fourth quarter, they're going to be dead tired. And there was some quarterback shuffling around here. Tennessee's run game is not bad, in my opinion. Um, and they scored 34 points. That should not be understa- understated. But Pitt scored 41, so Tennessee's defense, yikes. And again, Josh Heupel runs an offense that, when it doesn't work, is extremely detrimental to its defense. So you you play you run a real risk there. But Pitt wins. Um, Tennessee still got a lot of work to do. Um, but Sergio gets two points there. So at the end of the week, um, Sergio gets a whole nine points. And Tyler, I have seven. So Sergio's in the lead for the first time in a long time. Um, look at him. Proud of him. Wish I could, you know, congratulate him in person right now. But, you know, it's the long season. And, you know, when you, you're battling the, the rain and champ. Uh, we'll see what happens. But very excited for next week. Um, last bit college fantasy update week two did not have a great week myself uh pod bowl happened i lost and it looked close early and then and then carson strong played and i realized i had to um adjust my strategy so i just picked up the western kentucky quarterback because i can't be doing this anymore with like favorite players um i gotta really sell out sell in to win but I'm 0-2 right now. Sergio's looking much better. But I got I gotta I gotta fix some things. But yeah. Uh college fantasy's fun. Reminder to anybody who's in our league who's listening, remember to submit your picks. Submit your changes. It will not automatically do them for you. I'm done hearing complaining about this. But anyway, uh 
college fantasy is good in the works. Um, it was a good week of college football. It always is. It's never been a bad week in my opinion, but actually a really good week of college football filled with some, with some upsets, even though we only had a few big games. Those big games were very entertaining. Um, can't wait for next week and can't wait to be recording with Sergio again. Our next episode will be our week three preview where we'll preview all of the action in week three, including the Florida Alabama game that I just cannot wait to watch. Um, and we will finally have a bigger Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson discussion there. But until then, thank you guys so much. Um, we'll talk to you soon next week uh, or later this week when you listen to our week three preview. But just remember that we're not biased, but uh, go Gators. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed Tyler's takes on those games. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm recording this immediately after I finish recording my takes on the game. So I don't know what he said. I hope it was good. Um, I'm sure it was good. Tyler's always really good with his analysis. He knows his college football. Um, I'm here to tell you that, you know, keep a lookout, keep an eye out for the next edition of the Sideline Judgment newsletter. Again, you can subscribe by emailing your email address at, at sidelinejudgment at gmail.com. That is judgment with an E. Um, you can also follow us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Twitter. Just simply search Sideline Judgment Podcast in your Apple Podcast player and in Spotify, and you will find it. Click follow. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter at SJ underscore podcast. And that, excuse me. And then once again, the Sideline Judgment newsletter. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, we're going to have the Emory and AR-15 discussion. I've said that 17,000 times this episode, but I'm going to say it again. We will have that discussion on the next episode. We will also be previewing everything that happened, all the games that will be happening on during week three of the college football season, including and especially the top 11 matchup. Yes, I said that top. I think we're 11 top 11 matchup between Alabama and Florida, the CBS 330 game of the week. You know, I had to do the song, even though Tyler wasn't here. Come on, guys. Come on. We'll do it again next time as well. Um, so, yeah, keep sticking around. Uh, you know where to find us. You know all of our socials. Uh, and uh, without further ado, my name is Sergio. And for my best friend, Tyler K. Williams, we are not biased but go Gators.